Hey y'all, it's time for another Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. Present day, present time. <laughs> All right, welcome back to everybody who just paused the podcast to listen to the beginning of Serial Experiments Lane. I'm one of the hosts, Micah. I'm the other one, Matsy. I don't know what that is. But anyway, I know what this is. It's Animation Celery, which is a podcast where we give each other cartoons to watch and then review and discuss them. And this time, we decided to do a fun theme of a two-part episode where we do two-part episodes. Like, Micah is watching Bob's Burgers, a two-part... He's watching part one of a two-part thing, and I am doing Like like, Lie with The Transformers, part one of two. And then next week, we'll come back and talk about the other half. But uh, you'll have to wait for the other half of our actual discussing and reviewing, because first we're going to discuss My Little Pony, no doubt. What do you got, <laughs> Micah? Okay, I guess I'll start with that. Um, okay, so I watched a couple of episodes of My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. I'm on a tour, as longtime listeners know, to complete it after many years of not doing so. <laughs> um, so... The uh, first episode that I watched is about the Cutie Mark Crusaders. Mm. Um, they really want to go to a fair in Appaloosa. Hmm. Um, except they've planned everything out except for the adult supervision. Mm. They can't find a chaperone. Everybody is busy. And the last person they check is Twilight Sparkle. She's too busy because... Star Swirl the Bearded sent her a magic flower to identify. <laughs> and wouldn't you know, this is a wish-granting flower. So, when Twilight and Fluttershy, yes, they've stuck Fluttershy in another episode in this last season, while they go to the library, the Cutie Mark Crusaders lament their position and wish that they were big. Oh, and then, boy. And, yeah, and then Zoltar grants their wish. <laughs> You know, the weird thing is, okay, this is all before the opening credits. Oh, and when really? They do, yes, yes. Um, when they do get big, their first instinct is, yeah, now we can go to the fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, that was their purpose, I guess. I know they're little fillies, but have, a, have some perspective, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so when they get big... Uh, they they give them longer manes and tails. Okay. Because I think one of the things is that if you were to see a young apple uh, bloom next to an adult apple bloom, you could tell the difference. But I think maybe the worry is that they're very much, they've got the same model as the main six pony bodies. Right. And basically the same faces. And really most female ponies have like, neotenous faces right so yeah i think maybe they thought once they grew you wouldn't be able to tell the difference because there's no tiny pony to put them next to <laughs> um anyway so th yeah they, they have you know like scootaloo's got an extension to her punkiness kind of look right right um and uh i think the real glow up is sweetie bell getting a her hair's lengthened, her mane, and then the curls are at the end of her lengthened mane and tail. Mm -hmm. Looks really nice. 
Um, okay, so they they revel in being adult mares now. Um, they can run much faster, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they also note that nobody ever talks down to them or tells them not to do anything. Although in reality, they're actually annoying the heck out of everyone. Yeah. I guess they just don't have the, uh, the, the instinct to, you know, to admonish adult ponies that are running through and causing chaos. Anyway, everybody had warned them that they needed adult supervision. Everybody kind of could sense, you know, like, you're not going to go off on your own, okay, right? That yeah. If you do, you know, you might get off at the wrong stop. You might get lost. Yeah. And so they, that's exactly what happens. They get on the train um, and they get off at the wrong stop. <laughs> the, uh, uh, at, a, at a stop called Hayseed that <laughs> has a uh, spooky uh, train station uh, manager. Anyway, he draws them a map to go off through the uh, swampland in order to... Because, you know, Appaloosa is not that far if you take that way. And, you know, he wouldn't trust little fillies to do it. But since they're grown up, he, they, can, they can go on their own. Right. So, yeah, they go through and they have troubles. But at one point, they find like a small town. And uh, there is a couple of friends. Uh, what are their names? Uh, Spur and Biscuit. Okay. Who are... Uh, uh, they're arguing because they share a pet and Spur doesn't want Biscuit to take that pet to the Appaloosa Fair. Hmm. Um, thinks that the, the, the pet is not ready for that kind of like crowds and stuff and excitement. Right. Um, anyway, the uh, the Crusaders take Biscuit's side because selfishly they want them to help them find Appaloosa. Mm-hmm. So they kind of agree to be their chaperones, you know, and, and go there. Ultimately, the, the deal is that the pet is like an exotic pet. And then when it gets, when it gets excited, it creates whirlwinds, right? Oh. Um, yeah. And, you know, in the end, they, they do need Twilight and Fluttershy's help. Fluttershy is competent once again. <laughs> it's really strange how competent and how frequently she's in episodes. Um now, this is, eh, it's kind of just an okay episode, maybe even semi-bad, because uh, it's, it's my complaint that, what, what age demographic do you think Friendship is Magic is for? Ooh, um, it's probably, in it's, it's that kind of thing that I think Looney Tunes writers used to say, where if you, if you write for adults, you can trust the kids to get it, and I think the idea is that they're trying to be mature writers writing for girls, say 10 and under, but yeah, with the knowledge in the back of their heads that there are 44 year old men who watch this too. <laughs> well, see, I would have said about 10, nine, 10, right? Okay. Yeah. And same thing that younger too, but, Principally, this is sort of analog to other Hasbro stuff of the day, and it remains so, I would have mm -hmm. thought. But this is another one that just strikes me as like, no, it's more like four or five, you yeah. know? That this is the resolution of that all, that it, they don't look into being adult more. Like, I think if I were to make this storyline, what it would have been is that they have real troubles escorting these kids to the fair, rather than there's just like this MacGuffin animal that, that, that freaks out. And... They have to face the very real responsibilities of having 
these kids look to them to, you know, take care of them and find them food or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And they would have actually grown and been strong in the situation because I think they should be right. That they're not just average uh, foals. They're, you know, cutie mark crusaders. So I think they should be a cut above. But by the end, they decide to revert and and be uh, I'll spoil it. Yeah, they they they're they're they're. Uh, child selves get it by the end of the episode but yeah um yeah it it really sounds to me like two things one they could have done more with this concept yeah um you know what they don't look in a mirror i think i would have certainly looked in a mirror at some point right and looked like whoa i kind of look like applejack you know or that kind of thing yeah yeah the other thing is you mentioned you know, them being more mature, like they're the cutie mark crusaders. They are not just little foals or whatever. Yeah. There was a whole episode about that. Um, Mm. Do you remember the episode? It was, um, there was two things going on at once, which was uh, Scootaloo and Apple Blossom um, were helping this uh, young pony whose dog didn't seem interested in her anymore. Right. And at the same time, uh, Rarity had decided that she had been neglecting to spend enough time with Sweetie Belle. And so they had this Sister's Day where they were doing Rarity made Sweetie Belle do all the stuff that they used to do when when they were littler or at least when Sweetie Belle was littler. And it was kind of they both had the same realization like Sweetie Belle is like. I'm not a little girl anymore. I don't like all this goofy little stuff. And at the same time, your dog isn't a little puppy anymore. He doesn't like doing little puppy things. They did a whole episode about them maturing. (laughs) And so now they're kind of, I mean, I haven't seen the episode you're describing, but I'm, I'm sort of thinking like, what exactly is the point of it? Just seemed like a waste of time. Oh, they could have, like like you said, they could have gone more into character things, right? Yeah. And, oh, oh by the way, also, Scootaloo as an adult still has wings that don't allow her to fly. I wondered about so, that, but I figured, yeah, that was the case. Yeah. Because one of her but parents it, is an earth pony. Well, I don't, they, they're not explicit about that, but... Yeah. um, But the way this show is written sometimes, I wonder if they even thought of it, you know? Mm. That it is sort of just thoughtless, like this episode kind of is. Um. Like anyway, some, some writer just went, what would the cutie mark crusaders look like as adults? Yeah, and that's kind of as far but, as it went. Hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Hmm. Um, let's see. <laughs> they they didn't even need to be magically adults. They could have just been pretending and had a disguise. You know, they could have actually that would have been really funny if they were in an adult pony disguise where one was the rear end and one was the front. <laughs> um. <laughs> There's a running gag of that in BoJack Horseman. Oh, yeah? Um, there's these kids, <laughs> at, at least two, possibly more. You never really find out. Um, mm. Oh, a, yes, I know the one you're talking about. His, his name is yeah. something, it's like, it's like Vincent Adult Man or something. I don't remember right. the exact name. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the one, does, does he have a mustache on too, the one on top? Uh, possibly. Yeah, I do remember these. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, it's just, it's just an okay episode. Hmm. And I was worried that that was going to be the way we went out on with the Cutie Mark Crusaders. But they're in the next episode, too. Not not as prime players, though. Okay. Um, okay, so uh, the episode is like The Office, 
in the sense that various characters have are talking to the camera, you know? Okay. Uh-huh. They're interviewed about what's going on. Yeah. Um, so it's Spike and Discord, Mrs. Cake, and eventually the Cutie Mark Crusaders are embroiled in it too. So um, Big Mac is going to propose to Sugar Bell. And hmm. so he's, he's uh, relying on uh, Discord and Spike to, um, to like lay out all the clues and get all the food and stuff. Right. Right. Um, I guess this is because they're, uh, ogres and oubliettes buddies. Hmm. Anyway, this, you know, you can already tell this is going to go real wrong. The thing is, it's going to be like this kind of scavenger hunt where discord is supposed to place apples with clues all over the place <laughs> so that when sh- yeah, when Sugar Bill finds them that, you know, it'll tell her to go to this place or whatever. And uh, um, he gets really frustrated because she just keeps speeding through and not seeing all those clues. Okay. Um, so he animates all those apples to, you know, <laughs> sprout limbs and have these like jagged mouths with foaming apple stuff dripping out of them. And they run around saying their clues. Right, right. Which just causes a panic in town. Um, anyway, in the meanwhile, Spike can't get the food he needs from, uh, Mrs. Cake because she already has, uh, 21, uh, sweets to make, but she's screwing them up because they're all last minute. Mm. So the thing is by remarkable coincidence, uh, each Big Mac and Sh- Sugar Bell, um, were making an elaborate puzzle to propose to each other on the same day. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I had a suspicion that this episode was going to take a turn in the end. And oh, yeah. Just based on what I know about, you said Big Mac was going to propose to his girlfriend. And immediately I'm thinking, oh, so this is going to end with her proposing to him and him saying, yup. Kind of. Now, Big Mac He's a character I think they do wrong a lot. Yeah, I agree. It's not a running gag. It's just a gag they've used over and over again that never works for me, where the gag is, is that he's really verbose. Yes. Never works. Um, I liked it the first time. I don't I don't uh, remember the episode, but I remember it was some context where Applejack was the one just saying yup and nope, and Big Mac was the one who gave the... Uh, verbose yeah. explanation of why maybe it was Apple Blossom doing something I, wrong. I didn't really like it then even, but 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 there's a flashback. He used to talk all the time. I don't know if you've seen this one, but then there's like an event where he decides, you know, no, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to clam up and not do that anymore. Right. Okay. Which I don't really like. I I don't know why they it's just like trying to fix something that isn't broken. Hmm. It's funnier if he's just a simple guy, you know? Yeah. Um, now, he does speak a little too much in various parts of this episode, and they just don't seem, well, just not advanced enough to me. Like, it'd be hard to write for that guy, but I, I still think it would, the payoff would be bigger for me, at least, if he was uh, still a pony a few words. Mm-hmm. But there is a really charming bit in this episode where he's he's waiting at the picnic table, and he's like shuffling his little hooves along the picnic table and nervously practicing saying, yup, yup. 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> that was pretty cute. <laughs> anyway, oh, uh, not there are not many of the main six in this episode, but yeah, Fluttershy's in it. She doesn't have... <laughs> She doesn't have any lines. Uh, they're looking for Big Mac and they're yelling like, Big Mac! And then they startle her and she like tumbles around in her hammock. But um, hmm. that's kind of weird. And Applejack doesn't have any lines in this either. But at least they uh, they remember to include her. There, There is a big wedding at the end. And, you know, hmm. it's a big sniffly thing where all of the apples are there. And hmm. it's pretty nice. And they link back to... Um, you might not have seen this one either. Did you see the story about uh, Bright Mac and Pear Butter's relationship? Oh, um, um, uh, the parents. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I did see that one. Yeah, so this links A back to there. Perfect Pear, I think it was called. Yeah, and that's sort of the perfect, like, when all the plans go awry, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, Big Mac and Sugar Bell sneak off and stop at the two trees that grow in the shape of a heart that mm. uh, were planted by Big Mac's parents. Yeah. So, and that kind of like links back to the story. And actually there's kind of a resemblance between Sugar Bell and uh, Pear Butter. So it's kind of like bring, I, I think Pear Butter is a really attractive pony, by the way. Um, I don't remember, but I'll take your word for it. Why not? Um, They both have quite curly hair. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's a pretty good episode, I think, overall. I do think it is a little weird to me that Sugar Bell is in the same episode with Sweetie Bell. Yeah. It's like, it's almost like they, you know, based upon some naming conventions that they would be related. And even weirder to me is knowing that Sweetie Bell is a prime character. I would have spelled them differently. They're both B-E-L-L-E. Hmm. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I watched those and now I'm set up. For the thrilling three-episode conclusion. Ooh. Yeah, so that'll be coming next week, all you stalkers. Oh, all right. Cliffhanger. Um, <laughs> Yes, a cliffhanger. Um, oh, boy, I got so much stuff. Uh, so uh, as as listeners of, the, of this podcast know, we give you the cartoon news, but also the uh, NHL hockey news. <laughs> so I have some off-season John Tavares stuff. Whoa. I, tr- I tried his cereal recipe 91. Okay. It was a, yeah, it's like, um, it's got a little chocolate in it. Got a little, a little coconut. It's got, I tend to eat a lot of granola kind of cereals mm-hmm. and it's, it's not the uh, chewiest. It's not the most challenging for your job, but that's neither good or bad. Anyway, my evaluation for it, it was on, it was on sale. I don't think it's $7 good. But it is definitely $4 good. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, it's no Wayne Gretzky's Pro Stars. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stone Ocean resumes on September 1st. Hey. Yeah. So look for me to be insufferable starting then. Oh, just um, starting then. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Um. Okay, so... Edion, our, our, our faithful listener, Edion, yeah. asked if we'd seen Virtual Son wa Miteru. Remember that? Um, I probably saw that tweet and was like, a uh, big long Japanese name anime. <laughs> no, turns out I haven't seen that. I checked, I checked episode one out. Um, 
so literally it's like you know virtual person is watching is the title right okay um so it's a showcase of over 30 vtubers actually they may not vtubers but virtual idols at the very least like some of them are singers and at least one of them is a gamer okay um there's sort of six central characters uh this show combines the potential craziness of anime with the unfathomable craziness of Japanese variety shows. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all mo-capped, of course, right? And, you know, it's like we say about people voicing cartoon characters, that sometimes they overdo it because they don't have their facial presence, you know? Yeah. That these, uh, these mo-cap people are just going crazy, doing silly walks and shuffling around and waving <laughs> their arms. Um it's just a series of sketches, like comedy sketches, and it combines illustration uh, or like real life sets, sometimes jump cutting actors. Mm. And the animated characters have some really faulty physics at times, um, like their hair's clipping, not only clipping, but it's sometimes it's just going bananas. It's like <laughs> flopping all over the place. Uh, characters are like stuttering, you know, as they move. Um <laughs> there's one sequence with the character unintentional I'm sure but also not corrected that her bosom is just going bonkers <laughs> um, so I think that's like a facet of the show that All they right. don't worry about it too hard when things just kind of look like they're out going out of control um, hmm. do you think it was recorded live no definitely not they're just little vignettes okay um yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, they had a chance to correct this stuff and they just didn't. Okay. Um, there's only one part of that thing that made me laugh out loud. Uh, and that's where Mirai, I think she's like a, um, a sex kitten kind of idol. She's in her house. And then we see Tanaka uh, running up to the house. But then rather than enter it, she just punts the house as one solid object far into the sky. <laughs> <laughs> so that shocked me and made me laugh. It's like but overall... That's, yeah. that's almost like if um, if Grampy was a VTuber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the shot is the same, too, actually. <laughs> the way the way the house is. Anyway, um, uh, to me, this is kind of like an adult swim show. OK. Yeah. Hmm. So it's all right. I don't think it would be a rush to watch more of it, but uh, yeah, it's OK. <laughs> hmm. Feel like this kind of thing. Hmm. Um. One more thing, which might lead into your stuff. Uh, I watched more Lost in Oz. Oh, okay. Yes. I'm up to episode five. All right. Up to and including. Mm. Have, you, have, you, have you watched more of it? You know what? I haven't. I meant to, but okay. like, oh, I mean, I have. So I like my new job quite a bit. I was actually thinking quite a bit. Well, I say quite a bit, quite a bit here, but I, I was thinking about my. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about it. And I was like, man, I'm I'm doing pretty good at this job. And I like all the people here. And I like how little stress there is. It's a little hard on me physically. Um, but the drawback to it is that it doesn't give me a lot of time after work. I only have like a few hours once I get home before I have to go to bed, go to bed. So oh, I can that's, get up. that's right. But the long days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I have very limited, you know, four days of the week. I have limited time to do stuff. But mm. then... I have a three-day weekend where I can do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. um, long story short there, no, I haven't watched Lost in Oz, but I did think about it. I That's one of the ones that's kind of on my list of, I really should check out more of this. 
Um, so well, I, I guess you I, can tell me, should I check out more of this? Yeah, it's good. Huh. Um, I guess I'll spoil stuff. Um, well, I don't know what I shouldn't spoil at all then. Huh. How about if, because we're running a little long, how about yeah, if yeah. I promise to watch more of it over the next week and then we can joint discuss it next week? Sure thing, pal. To add yet all another right. cliffhanger. Oh my God. Yeah. So exciting. Yeah. All right. So what about you? What did you get in your limited time? Uh, I managed to watch. I There's a bunch of things that I think that I need to get back to. I've mentioned before my little list, but even outside of that list, there's other stuff like I still haven't seen, you know, I'm worried that spoilers about the end of Amphibia are going to ruin it for me. Not that I particularly, oh. I mean, I've said before that show is a better comedy than it is a story, mm-hmm. but it's still pretty good and it's over now and it's been over for a while. And so I'm hmm. starting to worry that I might start to see spoilers. Um, so I really need to get on that and finish Amphibia. Um, but the thing that was on my list that I decided I was, it was actually just before we started recording. I was like, what is something that I can watch right now? <laughs> yeah. And I decided I was going to watch the first episode of the second season of Tuca and Bertie. Oh, neat. Yeah. Uh, so Tuca and Bertie is a it was a show on Netflix that ran for one season. Um, kind of it, it's similar to Bojack Horseman. And in fact, mm. is by one of the writers, I believe it is of Bojack Horseman, Lisa Hanawalt. Uh, who also mm-hmm. does a podcast. Uh, at, hmm? Yeah, at first glance, I thought it was the same universe. You would think. Yeah. Um, I actually watched Tuga and Bertie first. Okay. And went, huh, this is all right. And, mm-hmm. then, and then I found out it wasn't renewed for a second season and went, oh, that's kind of odd. And then I watched BoJack Horseman. And I went, oh, I see why they didn't want more Tuga and Bertie because it's kind of the same concept, but done much better. Um, Mm, I, I believe Bojack Horseman is a much better show than Tuca and Birdie. If the only, I I mean, it's a little less relatable because it's about a celebrity and Tuca and Birdie Mm. is about normal people. And you could also say, um, Bojack Horseman is about a man and Tuca and Birdie is about two women. One of whom is spectacularly traumatized. Have you watched Tuca and Birdie? I have, and I would say my opinions are inverse, that I really like Tuca and Birdie, and I, hmm. I don't really get why so many people like BoJack so much. Hmm. Interesting. Well, anyway, so it was canceled by Netflix, but then some other company, I don't know, Hulu or somebody, I think it might have been Hulu, actually, uh, yeah. decided to pick up the second season. And so I decided, let's watch the first episode of the second season of Tuca and Birdie, the new the new chip on their shoulder. Screw you, Netflix, Tuca and Birdie. Well, maybe, yeah. not. maybe not. Um, and this episode, the first episode is basically about, uh, Birdie. She has, Oh, I should explain what the show is. Uh, it's these two girls, these two birds, actually. Birdie is a, uh, th- uh, song thrush and Tuca is a toucan. And Birdie is kind of insecure because, like I said, she's spectacularly traumatized by something that happened in her childhood. And Tuca is just this off the wall, like 
you know, she she has no off switch best friend. Hmm. And Birdie also has a boyfriend named Speckle, who is a Robin, who she's hey. um, kind of like she likes a lot, but she's just really insecure about everything. Um, I really like Speckle. Yeah. And they live in a world where it's largely birds. I think that I think in this episode, they actually identify it as bird town. Huh. But there are other beings there. Um, in the first episode of Tuga and Birdie, notably one of their neighbors that they liked a lot was a plant. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's dogs and stuff as well. Although I will say in this episode, pretty much every character except for the plant and one dog, they were all birds. Hmm. Um, so this episode, Tuka, no, Birdie, Birdie <laughs> is looking for a therapist who can help her not rely so much on Tuka and uh, Speckle. Like okay. she, she actually, she views herself as a haunted house and she doesn't want to let them in to see all the creepy stuff that's there. Birdie, on the other hand, no, Tuka. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the opening, Tuka and Birdie and Birdie and Tuka. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> it actually opens with that, like with their therapist saying that she needs to cut Tuka out of her life because Tuka and Birdie just doesn't go together. Tuka and Birdie, Birdie and Tuka. It doesn't go together that way either. Tuka, Birdie, Birdie, Tuka. And then it just goes from yeah. there right into the intro, which is oh. Tuka and Birdie, Birdie and Tuka. Um, yeah. But anyway, she is having a similar sort of crisis with her love life where she just can't decide on anyone. Like Birdie is like, oh, there's so many therapists online. Which one do I choose? I wish I could go to all of them and decide. And Tuka's like, yeah, there's so many people on this dating app. I wish I could just date all of them and decide. And so in her frustration, Bertie accidentally makes appointments with every therapist on the app, except huh. for one who is never has an opening, who is a therapist. Um, oh, what's her name? Unid Emu or Emu, something Emu. Okay. And she's got a successful podcast that Bertie really likes. And she'd really like to see her, but she's booked up until 2074. Hmm. But she books appointments with all the other therapists. And so she has to run around going to every therapist and getting their own, their fragments of advice. Meanwhile, Tuka decides to go that the, the thing that sounds most like what she described in dating everyone and seeing which one's the best is a reality show. Uh And so... uh She somehow obtains a bus and goes to a bus stop and she calls it the sex bus. And she just gets Hmm. everybody. Oh, actually, I guess she had made dates with everybody because there was only one person there who was actually waiting for a bus. Hmm. Um, So she had made dates with everybody on the dating app and gathered them all into the bus to, you know, have reality style challenges to see who would be standing at the end. Tuka seems to me to be like the ideal person for a reality show. <laughs> kind of. Like that would be her best suit, the job she's best suited for. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you one wrinkle in um, Tuka's uh, character that they just decided to throw in with no um, fanfare. Mm. She's bisexual. Oh, this did not come up at all. As far as I can remember in season one. And it's not even really stated in season two. 
It's just that, like, all of the people that she made dates with on the app, like, I can't remember exactly how many there are, but there's, like, one male, and all the Mm. rest are female. And she doesn't say anything about it, and they don't say anything about it, and it's just, yeah, she's uh, open to dating either one. And I'm kind of like, this... Okay, I appreciate, you know, if if she's a bisexual character, fine. That's I got no problem with that. But boy, this sure came out of nowhere spectacularly yeah. 10 episodes into the show. Hmm. In the end, the one that wins by default just by being the last one standing is this lady who looks very much like Birdie. Ha, huh, okay. And they, you know, start making out. But then Birdie is having her panic attack. Like, oh, it's it's her anniversary dinner with uh, Speckle at this fancy restaurant. And she's mm. worried that she's going to have a panic attack and ruin it. And she does. And Speckle immediately texts Tuca. And so Tuca uh, runs to the rescue, which makes her new friend think like, you're just not over this birdie person yeah forget it and um okay and so yeah um uh, birdie just kind of decides in the end like wait a minute speckles an architect he likes old houses and uh, tuca is a weirdo who likes like exciting dangerous things maybe i should let them both in my haunted house and Hmm. yeah so they all they I mean, it's one episode and I'm sure there's more, but um, Birdie kind of makes peace with the idea that, you know, she's not inevitably going to ruin her relationships with Speckle and Tuca, that they they legitimately love her for who she is. Hmm. And Tuca, on the other hand, comes to the realization she she has a method for dealing with unpleasant things, which is that she kind of belches the unpleasant thing into a cup and then puts that cup face down with the unpleasant thing trapped inside it behind her toilet. And so there's this shot of all these cups with things written on the side about, you know, all the things that has, you know, she's insecure about. And and she just goes home and into this cup and writes on it that Bertie is keeping me alone. Huh. So... I'm probably making it sound better than it is. And it, it it's oh. it's okay. It's fine. It's just that I'm looking at it like, I don't know that I really like Tuka and Birdie that much. I think my initial impression of it, which, you know, I, I liked it enough to watch all of it and went, oh, this is neat. And then watched BoJack Horseman and went, oh, actually, wait, there's a better option. And now I'm going back to the first option and I'm saying, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's just well, that... Like, I don't think it's as good as as good a show or Mm. in a vacuum, like not even just compared to BoJack Horseman. Like, is it just not as good a show as I initially thought it was? Or is this second season, at least this episode, legitimately not as good as the first one? And I don't know the answer to that. It definitely is coming in heavy right at the beginning of a new storyline. So I don't know about that. Um while you're describing things, though, I was getting nostalgic for things I like about Tuca and Birdie, like the visualization of her burping the yeah, things into the cup. Yeah. You know, just 
crystallized in my mind. Oh yeah, that Tuca and Birdie goodness. Like I said, I'm inverse to you. I uh, I like the characters better in Tuca and Birdie, and I think the humor is way better. Hmm. Interesting. Like with BoJack Horseman, I'm just left ugging most for the most part, and occasionally laughing, but not very often. Hmm. Well, I don't know. Maybe you should check it out and see what you think. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some of them. I and I hear I hear associates talk about how great a depiction of mental illness it is and that you know i when i've seen it's like oh this seems very surface to me but no. well yeah like it's it's weird like because in the first season there's just kind of birdie is a wreck and you can't mm. really tell why until the second to last episode i think it is where she just spills her guts as like to tuka just like okay this is exactly what happened to me and why i am the way i am yeah and Obviously, you're not going to retread that territory too much here. They just kind of hint it, you know, when she's talking to yeah. her. It kind of gives a recap of where she is. Like, you work in a magazine, but you also have a side business make, uh, baking. You mm-hmm. have this friend named Tuka and your boyfriend named Steven or Speckle. His actor is played by Steven. Steven. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you've got some childhood trauma. Mm. And that's kind of the extent of where they go. It's kind of like. For those of you who don't have Netflix but have Hulu and you haven't seen Tuka and right. Birdie before, this is what it is. Have you ever seen the Tuka comics? There's Tuka comics? Yeah, it's just like funnies, right? Hmm. It's just like four panel Tuka comics. And you'll recognize the scenarios from them from the first season. Uh, okay, okay. But also it establishes her visual language, like her turning her head and profile upward, you know? Right. Yeah, so the comic is very much like that. I don't think there are that many of them, so it's a case... Well, I don't know how big she cashed in, but the, the creator uh, got it turned into a cartoon. Yeah, so. I don't and, know. I mean, I... and Sorry, go ahead. Well, it's, it's mostly just Tuca, like I said, being, doing Tuca things that amount to a gag in four panels. So it makes me wonder to what degree Birdie is just like the heart of the show that was created, you know, to expand it into a bigger plot as opposed to just... I mean, Tuca has her own stories, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Birdie's not in those comics, mm. so. I got the impression, and I don't have anything to back this up. I don't know that this is factual. I haven't researched it or anything. Okay. But based on what I know, based on what I've seen, my headcanon for how it went was that Lisa Hannawalt worked on uh, BoJack Horseman, and then went, well, hey, now that I've got my foot in the door with you, Netflix, I have my own funny animal characters, except they're women. Uh, and I'd like to make this show. And Netflix said, hmm. OK, we'll give it one season. And then when it didn't move the needle, Netflix said, that's all you get. All right. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe we should look this up for some, next time. Maybe. Yeah, eh? yeah maybe. Yeah. Um, one last quick thing. I'm, yeah. I don't have a lot to say about it, but maybe other people do. Um, Takahashi Kazuki died. Hmm. Yeah, he's... Ka- Ka- Kazuki, huh? What's it? Hmm? Takahashi What's... Kazuki. Yeah. Uh, the creator of Yu-Gi-Oh! Oh. Huh. Yes. Apparently, he was found dead in the sea off Japan. Whoa. Having been snorkeling. That's too bad. Yeah. I think he's he's a pretty good inker. 
Mm. Even though he uh, draws some very weird hair. <laughs> yeah. Or Drew, I guess. Oh, yeah. Huh. Well, but yeah, um, I haven't actually watched Yu-Gi-Oh! or read Yu-Gi-Oh! or played Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> well, maybe we'll... Uh, that'll be a future episode, I guess. Yeah. For this one, though, I should get on to uh, the first part of my Bob's Burgers. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, okay, so I'll be looking at Wharf Horse, directed by Brian Lashavo in 2014. So the basics on Bob's Burgers. In 1989, The Simpsons debuted as a primetime animated television series. It was a runaway hit and merchandising bonanza, and so dozens of other animated shows sought to replicate novelty. It turned out that dissimilar premises, like a movie critic, animals in Washington, D.C., and a dog, weren't winners. But then a little show called Family Guy just decided to do The Simpsons again. And funny enough, that was a success. King of the Hill answered the question, what if cartoon family but Texas? And eventually Lauren Bouchard, producer of home movies, decided to try, what if cartoon family but hamburger? <laughs> so Bob Belcher owns the titular restaurant. It's kind of a dive, but he's a real virtuoso when it comes to preparing beef. The man is laconic, kind of the viewpoint of a reasonable person in a world full of crazies. Those crazies include his family. Linda, his wife, is in some ways Bob's opposite. She's full of pep and a positive outlook, and that sometimes flies in contrast to scandalous things she says in her thick New Jersey accent. Tina is the eldest at 13. Her manners are quiet and mild, but that sometimes plays in contrast to her eccentricity. Uh, and she's a favorite of meme makers. <laughs> Gene is the 11-year-old middle child. He's generally good-natured, though not very forceful of personality. Louise is nine, and she's the mean one who wears the hat with the rabbit ears. She bullies everyone, especially her older siblings. Pertinent to the episode I'll be looking at today is the uh, fish odor family. Uh, Calvin is, uh, but that's fish odor like it's a German spelling, even though it sounds like fish odor. Yeah. Um, so Calvin is the landlord of Bob's Burgers, as well as Wonder Wharf, a rundown seaside amusement park around which the burger joint and other businesses are located. He wears a white suit and eye patch. His younger brother, Felix, is a narcissist and schemer. Where Calvin cuts corners with what he has, he at least has a fondness for the property he owns, whereas Felix is in it purely for self-gratification. Uh, okay, so the beginning. Uh, Calvin tries to draw customers to Wonder Wharf. The failing amusement park is undergoing renovations, but the Screamacane, a roller coaster of dubious safety, has been reopened. He offers free tickets to each of the Belcher kids. Meanwhile, at the burger restaurant, Felix shows up with his younger trophy girlfriend, Fanny. He proposes the idea to sell Wonder Wharf in order to build upscale condos. Bob pours cold water on the idea at first, but Linda is quick to fall to the lure of new gentrified customers. Felix plies Bob with the idea of realizing his dream of having a more upscale restaurant on the beach. And as I understand it, one of the running gags in the show 
is that Bob has clever names for menu items. Yes, every um, he has a burger of the day, uh, yeah. which is a pun. Um, there's actually an entire episode about him not having inspiration to make those burgers of the day anymore. Well, in this case, it's the saffron saff off burger. Yeah. But I have to admit, I didn't get it at first because shouldn't it be saffroff? But that's confusing too, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Uh, back at the wharf, Louise is keen to go on the scream cane. Jean doesn't want to, but who cares? Uh, Tina bargains to go on the coaster if afterward they can go on the carousel so she can ride her first horse love, Mr. Goiter, a wooden merry-go-round horse so named because of the gross pronounced lump on his throat. When it comes to getting onto the scream cane, Carney Nikki won't let them on because Louise is too short to ride. And Tina is in for a bigger disappointment because the carousel is about to be decommissioned and demolished, including her beloved Mr. Goiter. Fanny and Linda bond at the restaurant while Felix continues to work on Bob in the bathroom, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> the plan is for Bob to take Calvin away from the wharf at 1 p.m., while the prospective developers are given a tour. Further, Bob is to convince Calvin to sell. Bob shakes on the clandestine deal with Felix's peepee hand. The clever ploy is convincing Calvin Fishoder that it's take your landlord to lunch day. On the way to the Kingshead Island Ferry, they pick up Fanny for the outing. Calvin figures it out by the time they've boarded. Um, so Louise spunkily helps her sister by fastening Tina, fastening Tina to Mr. Goiter with a bike lock around their necks and then making her swallow the key. When Felix distracts his real estate buyers, he tries to deal with this carousel scandal and that prompts accusation of him trying to make Tina poop out the key as they call out girl pooper, girl pooper <laughs> four times. Yeah, and then he res responds something like, This is like boarding school! Yeah. Um, okay, so at lunch, Bob uh, starts a musical number about what good things could come from Calvin's selling Wonder Wharf. The music spreads through the B-plots, including Linda and Fanny shopping and Tina's bike lock protest. And it works! Calvin agrees to sell. But later... When Bob talks to his children, it reminds him how the amusement park is the life and heart of the town. Tina is especially impassioned once she and Mr. Goiter are separated from the carousel and the horse's head is knocked off. Bob takes Calvin onto the Screamacane for privacy to discuss not selling the park, and Louise muscles her way in as well, dragging Jean along. Bob's words and the thrilling last downhill drop convince Calvin not to sell. And Louise gets to experience the roller coaster with actually no safety comeuppance. <laughs> Did you expect one? Uh, kind of. Although yeah. I think there's already so much going on that that would have been overkill to some extent. Yeah, probably. Um, so as Calvin and Bob discuss the day at the seaside, they're ambushed by Felix. The younger fish odor brother has a revolver 
and he plans to kill them and dispose of the bodies. To be continued. Plus, we get an end credits visual and musical parody of the James Bond credits to Thunderball. But in this case, it's Wonder Wharf. Yeah, that's a recurring thing in Bob's Burgers. There's always a either a fresh musical number or a, a reprise of a musical number from the episode during the end credits. You know, actually, there's not really any music in the episodes, is there? Um, I don't think so. I don't think they like change scenes and then there's like a musical sting. There's you know, a little sting, like, would... like a little banjo, like like mm. just a little bit like that. Not really a lot of music. Yeah, on the whole, it's pretty bare. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay, so that's this this first part. Yeah. Um. So you you tried to get back into Bob's Burgers and you found it too difficult on account of all the poopy poopy and I means right. Um. Kind of. I started to like just see through. I don't know. I still like the earlier episodes. I like I actually okay. rewatched a couple of my favorites and they still hold up pretty well. Um, I still maintain the, the second episode ever, which is called Crawl Space, mm-hmm. um, might be my favorite episode of the series to date. Um, huh. Although there is another one called Glued Where's My Bob, which is widely hmm. considered to be one of the best, if not the best episodes of the series. It was the 100th one made. Um, it didn't air 100th, but they still kind of build it as the 100th episode. And it was a tremendous. That's a great episode. But I also like this huh. one quite a lot. <laughs> We're going to differ here. Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't really watch Bob's Burgers that much. Mm-hmm. Like it, it lives in memes. Yeah, obviously. Yes. yes. Um, and I think that's where it's at its best. <laughs> maybe. Like, okay, lots of people like the show, and I wonder why. Why do people like this thing? <laughs> um, to me, the comedy in Bob's Burgers is acceptable when it's just you and your friends riffing. Mm. But otherwise, it's just like unrefined. I don't, you know. <laughs> It's kind of like there's no jokes. Well, not good ones anyway. And and if if you don't love the characters, you're in real trouble <laughs> watching this show. Um, I do like a lot of the characters. Um, hmm. I hate Gene. I'll say that right off the bat. I can't stand hmm. Gene. All he does is scream about poop and farts. Well, I don't like screaming for sure. I do generally like positive, good natured characters. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I when did that start? But I guess oh, what's his name in, in My Name Is Earl? Oh, jeez, I I barely remember anything about that show. Well, and and then and then um, uh, boy, I'm in real trouble trying to remember names right now. But yeah. uh, there's also one in, in Corner Gas. I, I just really like they feel good and also they're kind of absurdist, right? Yeah. But yeah, if he's just going to be screaming all the time, he probably loses a lot of those points right away. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, like this, apart from being cynical when this came out, you know, that, oh, it's another one of these things. Mm. Um, visually this show doesn't give me a lot either. (laughs) I can understand that. I, I don't mind its style, but I can understand how somebody could dislike it. I will say it's fascinating how almost every character has a chin 
and yet it doesn't change the contour of their side profile. <laughs> <laughs> it just remains a line <laughs> partway down their face. Yeah, it's kind of like a Simpsons character that they added a token line to. Yeah, kind of. Hmm. I don't hate it, but it's not... I don't know, like, hmm. there's there's a remarkable consistency of the cadence of the voices. It's almost homogenous, the performance of everyone in the show. That's actually gotten a lot worse in recent years, and that's one of the main things that has turned me off of it. Uh, is right. Particularly H. John Benjamin as Bob. I don't know what has happened to him, but it's like, in recent years, Bob has, like, forgotten how to talk. Because huh. whenever he says anything... It's like he's trying to remember how to say it. He doesn't <laughs> yeah. do that in the earlier seasons. It's just it kind of happened. I started to notice it really during the episodes that were recorded remotely during the pandemic. And hmm. I kind of can't unsee it now. And going back to earlier episodes, right. it's like, no, he can actually talk like he's he's actually speaking at a normal human rate. But in the modern day, he just drones like he doesn't know how to do it huh hmm when i was looking at the voice cast of this i was surprised that it's all different male voices doing the female characters ex i thought some of them could have been repeats except Kristen shaw yeah it's like yeah it was a joke that i made in a in a little comic years ago where it was like um i need feminism because 80% of the voices in Bob's Burgers are men or something like that. Um, right. Or Boy, it just doesn't work for me either, though. It's not funny that, you know, that... I don't know. Um, I think Tina's get... voice is funny. Who is? Tina's. Uh, she's... She's, Kinda, she's yeah. voiced by... Uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, God. Why can't I remember his name? It's like Dan... Dan... Wentz, Dan Mertz. Mince? No, that's Mintz. another person, isn't it? I think it's Dan Mintz. Is it? I, I okay. think so. But anyway, originally, I've watched the pilot. The pilot um, for Bob's Burgers is out there. The test mm. version of it. Um, and originally, the Tina character, because you notice, um, like, Gene is played by Eugene Merman. And okay. this is kind of something that uh, Lauren Bouchard has done a lot, you know, like in home movies, Brendan was played by Brendan Small and Melissa was played by Melissa uh, something. I don't remember. Um, Brendan's mom, Paula, was Paula Poundstone in the first season. The coach, John McGurk, was John Benjamin. So it was kind of a thing where they just use their own names. And originally ah. the eldest child in the family was Dan or Daniel, I think it was. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. And it was the same basic character and the same basic voice. And then mm. they just decided, what if we take this exact same character and make them a girl? Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. No real difference, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, it's funnier. It's funnier with that voice coming out of a girl, but also she can do really funny, awkward girl things. Like, mm. you know, she's a 13-year-old girl and she's obsessed with butts. Like... She doesn't really understand sex all that well. She just likes butts. Hey, well, I can bond with her on terms of her horse love, I guess. But yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. 
<laughs> I think this was kind of butt <laughs> itself, but fair enough. I'm co- I'm committed. I'm going to see where this goes. Yeah, you got to see the second half. I, I, Bob and Calvin might be done for. <laughs> yeah, boy. I guess everything that's happened since is a flashback, including the movie. We'll find out. Yeah, I haven't watched the um, movie, by the way. If anybody's wondering, I haven't seen it yet. Hmm. Well, um, let's find out if in retrospect, you think my recommendation is ass. Hmm. Well, we can look into that. Uh, you gave me the Transformers. Now, there have been a million Transformers animated series. It's like My Little Pony. It's one of those. It's a toy franchise oh that has just kind of keeps getting rebooted over and over and over again. Um, mm. And then. It never really faded, but it kind of got some weird aspect of new life when they made a live action movie, which was terrible, but somehow spawned four sequels or something. Hmm. Gosh, that second Transformers movie might be the worst movie I've ever seen. I've probably seen the first one in five minute increments that hmm. pass paced together into one full movie. Oh, boy. And I don't like them. I don't like them. They, they look like a bunch of nonsense, it's, those Transformers. It's all garbage, and they keep finding ways to not have the Transformers in them. Like, Well, you've really, you've really cleansed the palate to really like the heck out of this cartoon. <laughs> yeah, okay, so the Transformers. Basically, it's a toy line um, about um, everyday objects. Initially, cars and airplanes, but then it expanded into, like, tape players and a microscope. Um and they can transform into robots. The idea is that these robots are from another planet called Cybertron. They crash landed on Earth. There are good ones, which are Autobots, and bad ones, which are Decepticons. And the Decepticons pretty much decided to stay on Earth to harvest its natural resources. And the Autobots decided to stay on Earth to protect its living beings, humans, that is, uh, from the evil forces of the Decepticons. And yeah, so I guess that's kind of it. Let's get into this one. Oh, worth noting, as the name kind of implies, Autobots are generally in the early days. The Autobots are Mm. generally cars and the Decepticons are generally airplanes. Although like the leader of the Decepticons famously transforms into a gun, which the Various governments eventually went, um, no. Yeah, can't take it on the airplane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's, you know, each team has a tape player of some variety. Um, but that's the main thing. Autobots are cars. Decepticons are airplanes. All right. All right. We understand this. Now let's get into this episode, which is called The Key to Vector Sigma, Part 1. And it opens with a convoy involving a super fuel that the government has created and the Autobots are going to test it. But first they have to ship it to somewhere and they're being guarded by the Autobots who remember are all cars. And they kind of worry about, you know, well, this would really go awry if the Decepticons knew about this super fuel. Good thing they don't. And then they get ambushed Mm. by the Decepticons who are all airplanes, except for Megatron, who can turn into a gun but can still fly, and his second-in-command, Soundwave, who can turn into a tape player but can still fly, and his little cassette buddy, Rumble, who can turn into a cassette but can still fly. 
<laughs> and basically, yeah. all of the flying Decepticons are outwitted by the Autobots going into tunnels and valleys, hard places to fly in. Um, and in the end, I mean, there's a little shootout at the end where uh, Megatron is threatens to blow everybody up, but is blocked by a smoke screen and is forced to retreat. And he kind of ponders like, ooh, if only we were cars instead of airplanes, we would have had them. <laughs> now, personally, I, I kind of think, a, you know, being able to fly at will is a better. I mean, <laughs> flight is a better superpower than super speed, let's say. Sure. Uh, Boy, this is going <laughs> to this is going to be demonstrated real shortly. Yeah. yeah um, so the Decepticons are flying away. And they kind of decide, or Megatron decides, you know what? We need some wheels. I mean, he's not wrong. That would expand their profile. It would. If they yeah. got, yeah. I mean, it's not easy to take an airplane into a city. Well, yeah. And the, the disguise part, yeah, it, as it, well. True. <laughs> yes. The object of being these vehicles is to disguise themselves. They are robots yeah. in disguise, don't you know? Yeah. Anyway, to this end, Rumble the little cassette henchman. Uh, his superpower, by the way, is the ability to cause earthquakes, but that's not relevant here. Uh, he basically steals a bunch of cars. Uh, well, let's say three cars, a race car, and a big rig, not unlike the leader of the Autobots, Optimus Prime. So they take these three uh, wheeled vehicles back to their Decepticon base for upgrades. They're given a force field that allows them to crash into things and an anti-gravity thing that allows them to jump and do cool flips. And they're basically just really menacing. Like they can drive really recklessly and trash stuff without being scathed. And their mm. cool, cool stunt show uh, prompts Megatron to deem these vehicles. Oh, also they can turn into robots, although they are... Since they've just been created from Earth vehicles, they're just kind of mindless drones. And mm. uh, Megatron controls them with a remote control. And he has deemed these beings the Stunticons. Nice. By the way, I think this must have been a really fun mission for Rumble. To yeah. just get to bully some humans. And uh, the big highlight for me is when he's crouched on the Formula One racer and driving it like a go-kart. Yeah, that's pretty funny. That's pretty good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, of course, this rash of thefts by famous villains, the Decepticons, who are also giant robots. These robots are all pretty much to scale, by the way. Like, if you think about a robot that can turn into a car, once it turns out of car form, it's still giant, right? So, yeah. So basically, the Autobots see all this happening on the news. And Optimus Prime really leaps to a conclusion here. He is a step ahead of even Megatron has been so far and deciding, mm. hmm, I think he might turn these cars into robots. Now, the Decepticons have a device called the Space Bridge, which allows them to transport themselves back to Cybertron, their home planet. Uh, there are a precious few, well, that we see, Transformers still around on Cybertron. Uh, chief among them is uh, not Megatron's second in command, but kind of a mm, 
command of Cybertron. Yeah, he's left in command of Cybertron. Uh, a, a Decepticon named, uh, I almost called him Galvatron, but that's not right at all. No, no, no. no. Shockwave. Shockwave. Um, yeah. Shockwave was always my favorite Transformer to do, to do an impression of, because he sounds kind of like um, Christopher Lloyd, sort of. Oh, yeah. He kind of has a voice like this, Megatron. Um, no, what's hmm? no, what's the uh, y- your ex? Uh, I remember an anecdote that I that I love where you did a, a shockwave impression and she said that it sounded like that song where it goes like, and you might find yourself. <laughs> David Byrne of Talking Heads. Yes. Uh, that's another, yeah, yes, that's another uh, good one. Yeah. That, in fact, that uh, might be what they were going for. Yeah, and then you said, and you might find yourself turning into a giant laser gun. <laughs> I love I'd that one. I've forgotten that anecdote, but I'm glad that it, it it sounds like something I'd say, and I'm I'm glad I was that yeah. funny once upon a time. <laughs> anyway, so the this little group of 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 Decepticons and their new Stunticons go back to Cybertron, where they meet up with Shockatron, and Shockwave. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a funny exchange where Megatron's like, did you get the thing I told you to get? Oh, no, wait, no, is Galvatron's like, now don't forget, you need the key. And Megatron's like, what key? So if you've seen the Transformers movie, um, not the animated one, but like the, the terrible ones, uh, there's a recurring thing in there with something called the all spark, which is the thing Mm. that grants machines the ability to transform into sentient robots and in the original transformers lore here there is a similar thing uh a supercomputer called vector sigma which is the thing that created cybertron and all of these sapient robots that inhabit it now vector sigma has been uh dormant for millennia and there is a key that will unlock Vector Sigma, but one of the other guardians of Cybertron, Alpha Trion, has it. And so, in order to grant the Stunticron's proper life, they have to obtain the key to Vector Sigma. Hey, that's where the title of this episode comes in. From Alpha oh. Trion. Meanwhile... The, uh, as I said, Optimus Prime has leapt to the tremendous conclusion that the, uh, oh, all, all, I think they saw through some footage that the Decepticons had rebuilt the space bridge, which I guess had been destroyed at some point. So Optimus Prime gets the idea that, okay, they're going back to Cybertron. They've stolen cars. They're going to try to unlock Vector Sigma and animate these cars into evil uh, Decepticons. And so they enlist one of their super weapons, a gigantic robot named Omega Supreme, whose Earth disguise, if you will, is a rocket launch playset. He is their means of (laughs) space travel. And so they all hop onto Omega Supreme's rocket and fly to Cybertron so as to intercept and defeat the Decepticons. Back on Cybertron, and by the way, this flashes between Autobots and Decepticons with a, you know, the Batman signal in the in the uh, 60s series where it's like, yeah, yeah. Transformers has a similar thing where 
the Autobot logo will go to the screen and flip around to the Decepticon logo and it'll go. The weird one is it's the same faction yeah. where it's just like Autobots in a different place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we get this transition back to Cybertron where eccentric inventor guy, I guess, uh, Frank Welker, I mean, Alpha Trion is. No, he's not, though. What? This is John Stevenson. Boy, he sounds a lot like uh, Frank Welker. Oh, it's John Stevenson. You know, the guy who's every secondary character in Scooby-Doo, where are you? Hmm. Yeah. I was way wrong on this one. But Hmm. Frank Welker is all over this. He's Megatron. Um, Sure. The voice cast of this is something else. We'll get to that. Um, Anyway, uh, the Decepticons break in and beat up Alpha Trion and uh, steal the key to Vector Sigma. That was pretty easy. And then the sure. uh, the Autobots show up on Cybertron and go looking for Alpha Trion and find his uh, beaten up body. Fortunately, they brought their two healers, Hoist and Ratchet, and uh, they are able to bring Alpha Trion back to um, something resembling health, where he explains what uh, Megatron has done. And he shows them the hole that leads to Vector Sigma. Now, the Decepticons have already gone down this path, and they meet some Centurion drones, invulnerable robots, that uh, defend Vector Sigma. I'm going to get Vector Sigma and Alpha Trion mixed up, I guarantee you. (laughs) You know what's strange? Is that the whole deal of Vector Sigma is that it can give uh, robots life, (laughs) give them personalities. Personalities, yes. And it's guarded... Yeah, it's guarded by personalityless drone drones. I thought about you that, know, but you're exactly right. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, things look bad for the Decepticons until Megatron figures, hey, if this is the key, if they're supposed to guard Vector Sigma and I have the key to Vector Sigma, maybe they'll obey the person who has the key. And it turns out they do. So he sicks the Centurion drones off to stop the Autobots, who I guess he knew were coming. And uh, he just said, go to the surface. But yeah, yeah. I thought he said something about getting the Decepticon Autobots, too. You're probably right. I mean, there's still Autobots on Cybertron. Yeah, so that's true. Maybe it's maybe it's just the practical thing to do with yeah. them. Go cause havoc. Anyway, now we rejoin the Autobots who are talking about how lucky they were to escape that explosion that we totally didn't see. Um, And they're worried about possible other traps that the Decepticons might have uh, set for them. They find an old shuttle bay with some old decrepit shuttles and some old decrepit drones. But, you know, we can ignore those for now. But then the new decrepit drones, actually not decrepit at all, the Centurions come and uh, attack them and they realize that they are in over their heads. The Autobots do. Back in the Decepticon land, they find Vector Sigma, which is a sphere. You know, it's it's the thing, you know, a supercomputer doesn't look like a super. It's like, wow, this is so advanced. It looks like nothing because it has mm. technology far beyond our understanding. Uh, Megatron puts in the key and Vector Sigma wakes up and is like, who awakens me? And Megatron's like, I did. I made these robots and I want you to give them personalities and fill them with hatred for the Autobots. And Vector Sigma goes, OK. And he does. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually it's I thought that was really funny 
where he's the vector simulator just kind of i guess if he created both the autobots and decepticons it has no morality it's just there gotta be good sure. guys and bad guys i don't care and you know the funny thing is the personalities he injects these stunticons with mm. are like well i'm gonna make one depressed guy i'm gonna make one paranoid guy i'm gonna make one jerk yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know another guy who's uh uh, delusional, yeah, and another guy who's reckless, and then a bully to control them all. Well, is that good? Well, we haven't. Did they do a good we job? Haven't seen that yet? No, but basically, yeah. while the Autobots are still fighting off these Centurions and uh, try to um, uh, retreat back to where they found those decrepit drones, the newly sapient Stunticons introduce themselves. There's five of them: Motor Master, Dead End, Drag Strip. Uh, and two other ones. Breakdown and Wild Rider. Yep. And anyway, they all in their <laughs> various ways pledge their loyalty to Megatron and uh, pledge to destroy the Autobots and basically just mess stuff up, which Megatron likes the sound of. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm just hmm? I'm just getting a kick still out of the idea that a guy who turns into a Porsche is depressed. <laughs> Uh, anyway so the autobots decide you know like i said they have their uh healer bots ratchet and hoist and they decide you know let's bring these drones back to life so they do while the decepticons escape through their space bridge back to earth the autobots reactivate these drones but they're just drones they don't have any kind of personalities you know vector sigma didn't get to them they send out a wave to not really stop the Centurions, and then they send out a second wave to actually stop the Centurions by running off a cliff and making the Centurions follow them. I guess that'll get the job done. Sure. Back on Earth, Megatron tells the Stunticons that uh, this is Earth, and they are more than welcome, encouraged in fact, to just destroy it. And so the Stunticars start... Stunticars? Stunticons start racing around. <laughs> Centargars. Yeah, they, just, they just start making havoc. They start just racing around and crashing stuff everywhere. The Autobots find that Vector Sigma is activated and Optimus Prime, their leader, figures out what's happened. He was right. What can they do? Well... He asks Alpha Trion if those shuttlecraft could be modified to look like Earth flying vehicles. Seems like he has a plan to fight fire with fire. If the Decepticons mm -hmm. can make robots that are cars, why can't the Autobots have planes? Back on Earth, mm. the uh Decepti the Stunticons are now messing up the military base that's hoarding the super fuel that was the start of this whole story. You remember that stuff, the super fuel? Just, mm. just the super fuel? And as the army is trying to fight off these unstoppable cars, they realize if they're cars, they must be Autobots. The Autobots must have gone bad. To be continued. Mm. By the way, great to be continued screen <laughs> of uh, Wild Rider crashing out of a building. Yeah, yeah. And then that and then that to be continued title. That's great. Yeah, it's pretty good. You know what? Transformers 
is a show that I always in my mind think, boy, every time I've tried to go back to this, it's really cringy and I just can't. Yeah. Boy, I had a good time watching this. Oh, wow. Okay. This is a legitimately cool cartoon. Like, not just for a kid who wants to buy or get their parents to buy them all these cool, cool toys. But like, this is like, you know, as a 44 year old man who can buy all the toys he wants, I'm still like, hey, this is all right. (laughs) Well, there's there's a good deal of them, including millions of knockoffs. Um, you know, it's funny though, the inconsistencies in this episode <laughs> hit me while I was watching it, but then hit me even more as you're describing it to me again. <laughs> like, shame on Megatron. He was excited to get his stunticons, I guess, and then he left the key in Vector Sigma. <laughs> <laughs> Even even if he thought they had that secured, you'd think he'd want the key so that Shockwave wouldn't use it or, you know, whatever, who, whatever Decepticon might have ambition, mm, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of which, Starscream isn't in this episode. No, is- no. You know, what's kind of weird is they showcase the uh, the three new Conehead yes, Seeker jets. exactly. That's exactly it. So, um... They in in the initial sort of batch of Transformers, there was some airplanes, which were all basically the same robot, just with different colors. And then they made slightly different ones, or I guess the wing parts were different. Um, And so same basic Transformer model, but new ones. And that's the ones that it's 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 one of the um, one of the transparent. Here's a new toy you can buy moments of this where all the sure. old you know the like uh, starscream is one i don't remember the other ones maybe thundercracker um thundercracker and skywarp are the sky i knew there was one about warping oh i love skywarp love his power set love his purple and black design yeah yeah mm. yeah um but yeah no they're old there's new ones there's ramjet and other ones that have turbines in their w- wings now it's one Actually, one of the more transparent, like buy this stuff moments of the show. You know the funny thing about them though mm-hmm. is that in order to transform, say, Starscream, you flip the nose cone of the jet back to reveal his face. Yep. And these guys have the same transformational schematic, except you're supposed to leave that cone up, hence cone heads. <laughs> Although these ones do have different wings from each other, so that's kind of cool. Hmm. I also like that they get their personalities out there and this must have just been a, sh- a showcase for a writer who likes depressed robots because Dirge gets a little dialogue about how like you didn't expect anything better after he crashed into a cliff or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but let's not focusing on the merchandising, although this is designed to yeah. sell you um Okay. You know, as a spoiler for this, these robots, the Stunticons and whatever Optimus Prime might be up to. This is kind Mm. of the follow up to the Constructicons, who were a series of six construction vehicles that were Mm. that had the unique innovation that in addition to transforming from robot to construction vehicle, they could also transform into the body parts of a giant robot called Devastator. And that mm-hmm. worked so well that they just kept doing it basically for the rest of the Transformers original oh. toy line run. 
too much. Yeah. Original toy line, all toy lines, even retconning things like there's there in some versions, the Dinobots combine. Oh, really? I just think, you know, yeah, I just think that's shouldn't be for everyone. The Dinobots should be cool because they're cool. You know, that you don't, not everything needs to be a combiner. Yeah. So they ended up with, you know, there's this series of four little things and one big one. And if you collect them all, yeah. you can combine them. Um, That's clever, yeah. though. Yeah. I, me and my brother actually managed to collect a full set of one of them. Uh, what were they called? Um, Terrorcons, which were monsters. Uh, yeah, we, late in the run. Yeah, we managed to collect all five of those. Um, hmm. I, I had all the Constructicons for Devastator. I had, we, between me and my brother, we had four. <laughs> I've got a purple fist. Yeah. Um, yeah. there was two, I think it was the crane, which was the head of Devastator. Yeah. And yeah. like, um, one of the various backhoes, which I think was a, one of the legs. But mm -hmm. we had both arms, the body and one leg. And it was like, it's actually kind of interesting because the, the later gestalts or combiners were kind of interchangeable where, you know, you had the one big one that was always the middle, but in addition to their assigned positions and, you know, part that they come with, the way that they combined was by plugging their head into holes in the big one's body. And so you could, they could go together in any formation, really. Huh. Whereas the Constructicons only went together one way. They had unique snap together mechanics so that, you know, Mixmaster could only be the left leg or whatever. Oh, admittedly, they go together in a little bit of a janky way. They do, yes. And I guess that's hmm. an innovation of the later ones where they actually have, you know, the holes that they plug into rotate in such a way that the arms and legs can actually move in a way that, first of all, it doesn't take a mess to combine them. You just chunk, 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 chunk. There, it's done. Right. Um, but also they, they're posable to hmm. some extent. Um, I always think, I always think about the lonely life of a combiner whose companions have died. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, well, I have a, another alt mode. Technically, it's just an arm, though. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. just turns mm. into a leg and hops around remembering the good times. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and remember motor when Motormaster was directing me and I didn't jump. I just swung on a joint. <laughs> Those were the good days. Anyway, this was a pretty good episode. And I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. Um, I was, it surprised me by how much affection I had for this particular bit of the old Transformers. Because like I said, I went into it thinking, ooh, I don't know. That episode where Beachcomber finds a pool full of gold and it's a, it's a, a thing about the environment. Mm. But then... A big blue bomb has gone to Electrum. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. this is all right. And I'm looking forward to watching more of it. Cool. We weren't really that divided. You like Bob's Burgers and I kind of hate it, but uh, we both were plus, we both were pleased with Transformers. Yeah. Um, and we're committed to more next week. Um, we're going to look at the key to Victor, Victor Sigma part two. Yep. And... It's the second part of Bob's Burgers actually has a different title. It's not War Force mm. Part Two. It's called World Warf Two: The Warfening 
Part 2, How Bob Destroys Slash Saves the Town. Hmm. All right. Well, that's going to be fun. Um, so, until then, uh, please, all you stalkers out there, let us know what to watch, what to talk about, weigh in, which is better, Tuca and Birdie or Bojack Horseman. Uh, you can reach me at DrabSwatch on the Twitters. And you can reach me at AC Matsy. And I'm sure you can reach other people at their own various ats, or as Bojack Horseman put it, A with a circle around it. Tell all your friends on the Twitters about this podcast, or just, you know, whoever happens to be following you, or maybe just pick some random celebrity and tweet it at them. They won't hmm. see it, most likely. Anyway, I'm at AC Matsy, and now, Slogan Man! Oh, nice things are nice. Uh-uh, not interested. <laughs>